On the resurrection morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Weakness raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed, no darker stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my sightness. Ready to live in glory. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Youthful and happy I shall be I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life Glorified with Him forever Death will be lost in victory I'll have a new body Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life I'll have a new home Glory, glory With the redeemed Never stand no more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my sightness. Ready to live, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal life. One hallelujah morning when the last trump of God shall sound. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life, eternal grace, all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life, oh yes, I'll have a new home, glory, glory, with a reading, no doctor stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my sightness. Ready to live, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. I'm your host, Bruce Kessler, and I just want to let you know I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see in him and him alone, I find forgiveness, joy, peace, happiness. I'm blessed beyond measure, more than I could ever deserve. My goal here, friend, is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be talking about a powerful message from Jesus Christ concerning marriage. That's right, folks, marriage. But a few things along the way. First, the first is headline news. Get this. You won't believe this, folks. Listen to this. A study by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University found that just 6% of Americans adhere to a biblical worldview. Isn't that amazing? The findings show a disconcerting realm for those who may consider themselves 
evangelist. The survey also found millennials held the lowest number of biblical worldview holders at just 2%. Mm. According to the study, Americans' biblical worldview has been rapidly eroding, but eroding the fastest for millennials. Previous findings from the American Worldview Inventory 2020 show the rapid erosion of the biblical worldview in American culture with only 6% of adults today possessing a biblical worldview down from twice that in the mid-1990s. But nowhere is this cultural shift more dramatic than among the youngest Americans, ages 18 to 36. The findings show a generation radically different in its worldview and beliefs from previous generations. Additionally, the survey found millennials are the most likely to exact revenge when wronged and are least enthusiastic about America. However, most millennials claim to be Christians even though they have the least biblical worldview, according to the survey. Isn't that stunning? and revealing at the same time only 2% of American millennials adhere to a biblical worldview. Woo, folks, we got a lot of work to do, but we also this also gives us a lot of information that we need and how we approach millennials as well. We can find a way with God's help, folks. Pray, pray, pray. Listen to this. On Thursday, Jamie Smith, a 40-year-old mother and attorney, wrote an op-ed in the Huffington Post explaining how the death of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg led her to join the Satanic Temple because of their pro-abortion stance. She expressed her first reaction to Ginsburg's passing was not grief but fear. I fear that American citizens are inching closer to living in a theocracy or a dictatorship and that the checks meant to prevent this from happening are close to eroding beyond repair. Furthermore, she explained how Ginsburg was a strong advocate for a woman's reproductive rights and how her death places Roe versus Wade in imminent danger of being overturned because of what she called religious objections to what is a safe and necessary procedure for the women who seek it out after discussion with their physician. Smith was surprised at how the Satanic Temple's seven fundamental tenets aligned with her personal beliefs for years, including how one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. I realize happily, she said, that these were my people and that I have been a Satanist for several years without even knowing it. Folks, can you believe that? By the way, despite the name, the Satanic Temple is an atheistic organization that does not hold to a belief in the supernatural nor the devil. Rather, the group utilizes the name as a metaphor for rebellion. There you go. There you go, folks. Women says the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg led her to join the Satanic Temple. My, oh my, what a weird world we live in today, folks.
Mm. Well, get this. It was sunny and 73 degrees, the perfect day for a baseball game. But that's not why the crowd filled the stands on Sunday at Four Winds Field in South Bend, Indiana, home of the South Bend Clubs. They were there for a church service, complete with worship leaders on the third base line and scriptures on the Jumbotron. South Bend City Church, a four-year-old church that draws on a number of Christian traditions for its music messages and mantras, has been meeting at the minor league ballpark ever since the coronavirus pandemic threw a curveball into large gatherings like worship service. Get that, folks. In March, we shut down gatherings pretty quickly, and we're really, really grateful to work with the Cubs to have a place that's safe and spread out and to be outdoors. In mid-stay-at-home orders, a social distancing guideline, churches across the country have found creative ways to touch base with their members this year. Many churches have moved online, but Miller said it's not the same when Christianity is inherently communal. Digital is great. It's a wonderful tool, but I think we all know the difference between Zooming your parents and hugging them at Thanksgiving. Those churches that have continued to meet in person in their buildings have done so with smaller gatherings, social distancing, mask wearing, and other measures meant to protect worshipers from the COVID-19. Others have hosted drive-in services. At least one held a kayak service. Isn't that interesting, folks? And with many sports canceled for the season, some churches, like the South Bend City Church, have filled the stands at the empty stadiums and ballparks in their neighborhoods. Next week, when the ballpark is hosting a viewing party at the Chicago Cubs game, the church plans to meet for a socially distanced tailgate party at the Studebaker parking lot. It's a little ironic, Gray Bill said, because most of the church staff is so oblivious to sports. Most of our team has spent more time in a stadium for church than they ever have for a sporting event. <laughs> Isn't that outstanding, folks? Church hits home run with services in ballpark as COVID-19 cancels sports. Isn't that interesting, folks? Woo! What churches are going to in order to come together as a church family. Folks, that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, this day in church history. In 1626, death of Lancelot Andrews. He influenced the development of Anglican theology and authored the prayer classic Private Devotions. He also helped prepare the King James Translation. In 1861, a fast day is observed in the northern United States by order of President Abraham Lincoln. In 1863, death of Frederick William Faber, English clergyman and hymn writer. 
who had come under the influence of the Oxford movement, resigned from the Church of England and entered the Roman Catholic Church. He founded a religious community in Birmingham and wrote 150 hymns, including Faith of Our Fathers, and there's a wideness in God's mercy. Isn't that interesting, folks? In 1897, the idea of the church of the Christian flag emerges when a speaker fails to show up for a rally at Brighton Chapel on Coney Island. Sunday school superintendent Charles Overton thinks quickly and turns an American flag into an object lesson. A Christian flag, he says, should have white for purity, innocence, and peace. Its blue panel would symbolize faith, trust, and sincerity. It would have a red cross to remind us of our Savior's sacrifice. And finally, on this day in church history, in 1942, death of Wilson Carlyle, founder of the church army, with the goal of reaching the working classes. He had preached out of doors as well as serving as an organist in one of Moody's evangelist tours of Great Britain. That's this day in church history. And now, folks, we have a little bit of fun with Name That Bible Character. Here is your clue. We're going to do things a little bit differently. So just listen up. You're going to have four choices. Here is your clue. On his deathbed, who does Jacob call a serpent by the way, an adder in the path? Is it Reuben? Judah? Dan? Or Zebulun? Here's your clue one more time. On his deathbed, who does Jacob call a serpent by the way, an adder in the path? Is it Reuben, Judah, Dan, or Zebulun? We'll have the answer to that tantalizing clue following our study segment folks so hang on for that exciting reveal in our final segment of name that bible character well folks we come to our bible study get your cup of coffee i have mine right here Pull up a chair, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, and we'll uh, start our study on, on the powerful message from Jesus Christ concerning marriage. Let's read those verses together, verses 1 through 9. It came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, 
Have you not read that he who had made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Verse 8, he says to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Folks, I remember clearly the summer morning of 1962. In the town of Rinkin, Georgia, the sun rose and caressed the, the morning dew, creating intricate, dazzling lights of color, much like a kaleidoscope. A southern coastal breeze stirred the tall Georgia pines. And massive oak trees around the house dressed with dangling moss would offer a welcome respite from the coming heat of the afternoon, such a such a beautiful beginning. Walking from the crowded bedroom where I shared a bunk bed with my two brothers, I noticed in the living room next to the kitchen the lunch bags were not prepared. Normally, the lunch bags would be sitting on the table for my two older brothers to take to school. It was strange. I noticed then several suitcases behind the front door. Then shortly right after that, a taxi cab, black with the checkered light on top, drove into the driveway. Mother had us dressed quickly and then ushered us all into the cab. Time to go, she said. I wondered, but where's Dad? There was something very wrong here. I was filled with uh, uncertainty and fear. We arrived in Savannah, Georgia, and at the Greyhound bus station uh, that morning and what started so wonderfully was ending very tragically, as you can guess. We hurriedly boarded the bus and soon headed to a place called Texas. Could have been a different country for all that mattered to me. I was not ready for the long journey ahead. I just remembered the tears. What was wrong? Something was missing. Where was my dad? The trauma and loss was palatable. But after arriving in Houston, Texas, and loading up in Big Mama's station wagon, I remembered Mom turning around in the front seat and asking, Who are glad we're back in Texas? Everyone raised their hand but me. You see, I was just five years old, and I miss my dad. Divorce is a very terrible, terrible thing on all levels, even if it's justified. It's just plain not good. But today, couples are seemingly impervious to the trauma and lasting effects of breaking up a marriage. Legal templates has noted that divorce rates 
are 34% higher during this coronavirus pandemic. And couples admitted that the pandemic and subsequent isolation has called irreparable damage to their relationships. And I believe that this, friend, speaks to the flaw of our culture and sexual revolution. You see, every reason is rationalized and every excuse is permitted in divorce. And this leads us to the very difficult truth taught by Jesus in the verses that we just read in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You see, just like Herodias hated John the Baptist for his stance against her unlawful marriage to Herod, many, many folks today would despise and reject the difficult teachings of Jesus on the matter of divorce and remarriage. But this didn't stop Jesus. Even the beheading of John the Baptist would not deter Jesus, which happened not too long before he had addressed this issue here in Matthew 19. The question was very simple and one that's applicable for today. Is it lawful to divorce for any cause? And that's really the rub, isn't it? But for Jesus, the answer was very simple. And for us, it is just as simple. The answer was no. And he laid out a principle rooted all the way back to Genesis. You see, God's, he says, original intent in marriage was very precise. You leave and cleave. That means to turn resolutely to your spouse and be forever glued to each other. God then, through that stated commitment and vow, turns two people into one flesh or one unique unit. No human being or government has a right to sever what God has joined together. But, friend, and family and friends, and brother and sister, Jesus emphasizes in verse 9 that there is only one reason for a marriage to ever end in a divorce, and that's for fornication, sexual immorality. And he purposely uses that word fornication to cover more than just adultery. It's a wide-ranging word, and, uh, and that was intentional. But Jesus states the exception very precise. Let's read it again. In verse 9 he says, But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus states that exception very precise. Uh, take, for instance, basketball. You score two points if and only if the ball goes through the hoop. And Jesus' point here is just simply this. You can divorce, but if and only if the reason is for sexual immorality. Only if. Not for irreconcilable differences. Not for nagging or whatever. Or if you just get tired of your spouse. You see, some wonder if this teaching is applicable to both man and woman. Well, I think it surely is. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. In that particular instance, an occasion in which Mark was uh, drawing from the same situation we find in Matthew 19, says in verse 11, So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her, and 
If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So this teaching is applicable to both man and woman. And even beyond that, Paul, the Apostle Paul, draws from this teaching of Jesus Christ on marriage and divorce in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. So most certainly it applies to both man and woman. But contrary to the popular notion that marriage is something easily entered into and easily dissolvable, that is a total misnomer. But more than that, it's a slap in the face to God. Truthfully and honestly, folks, as I draw to a close here, there is a lifetime of traumatic effects from divorce that cannot be casually discarded or dismissed. All you need to do is ask any child of a broken home. That's our study for this broadcast. And now we have the conclusion to Name that Bible character. Here was your clue. On his deathbed, who does Jacob call a serpent by the way, an adder in the path? Your choices were, was it Reuben, Judah, Dan, or Zebulun? The correct answer is Dan. That's right, folks. Genesis 49, 17. Jacob says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his rider shall fall backward. Isn't that amazing? On his deathbed, who does Jacob call a serpent by the way, an adder in the path? Dan. And name that Bible character. Well, folks, you too can become a follower of the greatest movement ever by giving your life over to Jesus Christ and finding forgiveness, joy, peace, happiness, and be blessed beyond measure more than you can ever deserve. My goal here has been very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Hey, visit our website, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, friend, I just want to just thank you so much for walking along my side during this broadcast. I appreciate it very much. Tell people about it. Uh, pass along the, the link. I would be very much appreciated. And I just want to tell you, may God bless you. Kind of group be. Kind of group be. Feeling kind of easy. Hard life put behind me. Rolling down the road now, all my sins are gone now. Feeling kind of groovy. 
Oh yeah, I'm feeling kind of groovy and I'm singing to the music of my Lord. I'm really singing joy to the Lord. Oh yes, I'm singing hallelujah, giving thanks to Jesus Christ, my awesome Lord. I'm really singing joy to the Lord. Do 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 do. Kind of groovy. Do 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 do. Kind of groovy. Feeling kind of easy Walking with my Lord now Jesus guides my life now Gives me strength and power Hallelujah, praise His holy name Oh yeah, I'm feeling kind of groovy And I'm singing to the music of my Lord I'm really singing Joy to the Lord. Oh yes, I'm singing hallelujah, giving thanks to Jesus Christ, my awesome Lord. I'm really singing joy to the Lord. Oh yeah, I'm feeling kind of groovy, and I'm singing to the music of my Lord. I'm really singing joy to the Lord. If you are tired and heavy burden, let me introduce you to the blessed Lord. I'm really singing. Joy to the Lord. Feeling kind of groovy. Word of God is in you. Rolling down the road now. Life is wonderful now. Feeling kind of groovy. Feeling kind of groovy. Feeling kind of easy. Feeling kind of easy. Gonna be like easy. Feeling kind of groovy.